Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading comes from John 1, 1 through 5 and 14, and John 3, 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. We're going to continue centering ourselves through prayer that's connected to our breath. It's prayed internally, silently, and so on the inhale we pray, gracious God, and on the exhale we pray, lead us by your spirit. So let's take a few moments to pray together. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. As we're gathered this morning, approaching this very moment from a diversity of perspectives, experiences, questions, some of us come in here hopeful, joyful, eagerly anticipating what you're doing in our lives, in this world. Some of us come in here angry or just tired or afraid or confused or anxious, depressed, addicted, hurt. We come in here in many ways very good people, in plenty of ways not very good people. And your response to all of this, to all of the beauty and brokenness of our lives in this world is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love. And so we pray, gracious God, lead us by your spirit. Teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. Bring the light of your life into our lives and send us out as a light to this world. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday I had the honor of participating in something that I've been a part of for years. Sometimes uh, I've been helping to organize it. This time I just went as a participant. It's called um, La Posada Sin Fronteras. La Posada is a tradition in Mexico and Guatemala. During this season, La Posada is, in small towns, it would become kind of like a processional parade, recounting and retracing the steps that Joseph and Mary would have taken as they were looking for shelter in Bethlehem before Mary had Jesus. And so it's a procession where they go from each home and they say, do you have room for us in your home? And the answer is no. They go to the next home. Do you have room for us in your home? And the answer is no. And you're feeling a little bit of what it might have. You still know you're going back to your home, but you're feeling what it would have been like in that moment. La Posada, that's La Posada. Sin fronteras, without borders. And so we actually did it down at Friendship Park at the border, and that's the place where people from the Mexican side and the U.S. side can come together and see each other and talk to each other. And so there was a contingent from Mexico and from the States and we were all together with the same PA systems and all of that. And there's this one moment, there's a, there's a song, it's called La Canción de la Posada, really brilliant branding on that one, the, the song of la Posada, where there's a Joseph part, can I come in, and the owner of the home part, no you can't, and it goes back and forth. And it was moving, moving, moving. First, on one hand, I'm not, I'm, I guess this was probably planned, it was on the Mexican side where they were Joseph. Can we, is there room for us? Can, is, there any, is there food over there? We, please help. And then we're, we're the ones saying, no, you can't come. I'm sorry, you need to go find somewhere else. So that on its own side is powerful. Um, but it was powerful because the song actually evolves. And by the end, you know, Mary and Joseph found room in the stable. They found a place to stay. And that kind of happens at the end. The owner of that last place lets them in. And you just feel this moment of hospitality breaking through into someone's desperation. And it begins to light up the whole moment. It's a moment of generosity, just a seed, a tiny seed of generosity sharing a stable. Or maybe it was more like a cave, you know, historians say. Sharing something small for someone really in need. And it opens up the entire situation. Your heart kind of melts as you see it. Now, you see this in a much more caricature kind of way in the classic film, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Whether you like the ancient, you know, the old and the ancient, the fit, you know, many decades old, I guess I'm ancient then, uh, story, rendition of it, the animated one, or the live action with um, Jim Carrey. But you start with The Grinch, who lives high in the hills above this town called Whoville. And The Grinch is bitter and cold and mad and seething. Because these Who's are so happy. Especially Cindy Lou Who. He can't stand her. So he goes in and decides to steal Christmas by stealing all the gifts. I'm not spoiling this. If you haven't seen it yet, you're probably not going to watch it. So he goes in and he, and he steals all the gifts. And he can't wait for Christmas morning to hear the deafening silence. Or if he's really lucky, a cry or two. But what does he hear? He hears singing. And he goes down to investigate and they invite him in. And they feed him. And they give him gifts, and they welcome him. They even let him say the Christmas blessing, and it changes his heart. Generosity changed his heart. And at the very end, remember, he then becomes contagiously generous, and he even carved the roast beast. And the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. So generosity is one of these things that continues to compound on itself 
As I always tell my kids, love is the only thing in this world you can give and you get more back as you give. It's the only thing you can do that with. And generosity is a form of love. So today we look at Advent 3, waiting and longing with generosity. Generosity. Now, you're designed to be generous, but it doesn't come naturally. You do not have to teach a three-year-old how to be selfish. Mine! You have to teach them to share. It doesn't come naturally. But we were designed for it. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite theologians, pastors, authors, wrote in his book, Run With the Horses, Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk, they can cling. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life, afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we have never tried. But the sooner we start, the better. For we are going to have to give up our lives finally, and the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and the swooping life of grace. You're designed for it. You're built for it. You're made for it. This is part of Christian theology when it says we live in a world that is beautiful and created by God and blessed. And God said it is very good and it's fractured and it's broken and it doesn't reflect that, reflect that glory the way that it could or should or one day will. We're designed for it, but it doesn't come naturally. And so let's just examine today, what is the source of living a generous life? Why does it matter? And how do you do it? First, what is the source? When we read our scripture this morning, John chapter 1, you see, when you read the accounts of Jesus' infancy and birth in Matthew and Luke, it's more like reportage. You know, in the years of, you know, in the years of, this, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, these things happened. Mary and Joseph went to this place. It gives dates, times, names, kind of traces through the details of what happened. But when the gospel writer John talks about what happened on that first Christmas, he zooms way out to the cosmological level. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. He's saying that's what was happening with that little baby in a manger. Let's unpack that just real briefly. We've preached on this before. We will again. So today we're putting on the lens of what do we learn about living, living a generous life through this? First, those words, in the beginning, in the beginning, are an echo of the very first words we read when you open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. 
And John is signifying something to you. He's going all the way back to the first account of creation, where there is a formless void, where there's chaos, where there's cold nothingness. And God says, let there be light. Where the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God hovers over the waters of chaos. And so you have God the Creator making beauty out of chaos by the Word of God, by His voice, with the Spirit there enacting everything. Immediately you see what Christian theology teaches us as this Trinitarian dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or if you want, creator, redeemer, sustainer. But God, three persons in one, actively overflowing with generous, creative, self-giving love. And so at the heart, if you're created in the image of like, and likeness of God, and I would make the case you are, that means at your heart is overflowing, generous, creative love. And if you're missing those keys in the song of your life, you're missing the harmony that God has created you for and me. In the beginning, God pours God's self out and enters in. Friends, where in your life right now, just take stock, take inventory, where do you need God to pour God's self into your life and enter in? And as the gospel, John, the gospel writer John puts the needle on the record, in the beginning was creation. And now, when Jesus comes on the scene, there's new creation. New creation breaking forth in the midst of the old. God not only pouring God's self out and entering in, but God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. You don't get closer than that. A God who is not... A benevolent grandfather in the sky who will send you a check if your report card is good. So you better get it right. A God who is not an overbearing parent or an overbearing boss who is just waiting for your quarterly review to tell you the ways you've messed up and you don't measure up. You have a picture of a God who not only knows you so intimately, but loves you so deeply that God becomes one with us. The incarnation, God pouring self out and entering in. And I, I say this a lot to myself, to my kids, to you. I love that part. And he, the light, what has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. And the reminder we all need, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. You know, scientists are now discovering, when you get down to the subatomic particles, I'm way above my pay grade on this, so please forgive me, but there is a particle called, there's a family of particles called leptons, and then underneath that, there's something called a neutrino, and a neutrino somehow fits into the family of light, photons, I don't know if it has to do with photons, but it's in the family of light, and they have found out that these neutrinos, which they're just now discovering because they're so tiny, are actually present everywhere, and they move through lead like you and I move through air. And they're technically classified in the light family. Which means that in the darkest place you've ever been, there was actually light that you just couldn't detect. 
Scientists are just now discovering what John told us in, in chapter one. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. And so there's this pattern. John 3.16, remember that? I don't know if it still happens at football games. You would always see 3.16 in the end zone at football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God links together loving and giving. God so loved the world that God gave his only son. And think about it. That's always the pattern. Whenever you love someone, you give. Whenever you love something, you give. Jesus later in John chapter 15 said, no one has greater love than to give one's life for another. Love always costs something. Greater love has no one than the one who lays down their life for a friend. Now, on one hand, you're thinking, okay, well, I hope in, in my life I've created enough safety and security around me. I don't have to go die for somebody. Maybe you will, but you probably won't. But you will be invited to do something that might be much more difficult. Because bravery and courage can come in a second and you can push someone out of the way of a bus at the cost of your own life. Hope it doesn't have to happen. But the harder thing is to develop a life where daily you are laying down your life for other people. You're deferring your preferences for somebody else's. You're living more simply so that you have more money to generously give to others so that they can have enough. Love always costs something. But it always starts with God. I wonder if this is what John later... So John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but then several letters to Christians in the early church community. And he said in the first letter of John, chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. You see that connection? This is why it's the source of generosity. It starts with God pouring God's self out in creation, blessing a beautiful world. Pouring God's self out in new creation, in Jesus. Pouring God's self out even to the point of death on a cross and the power of a resurrection that is accessible to everybody. God pouring God's self out to you through God's Holy Spirit that is God's presence within you, closer to you than the air you breathe. It's a never-ending gift. That's the source. So maybe the hardest thing for us to do is to receive it. There's a guy named Father Jack who was the chaplain to Bono and U2 for years and years and years. As they were small, as they got bigger, he would go around in stadiums. Father Jack would go around in stadiums and pray over every seat in the stadium before their big, huge concerts. And Bono, as you may know, is quite a spiritual fellow. And I think often he says things like, I like Jesus, I just can't stand Christians too much. I get it. Father Jack at one point shared, if you try to give a gift, here's, here's his exact words, if you're trying to give the world a good gift, but you're refusing to accept the generosity of the divine, and the moral of the story is you will dry out, you will die out. And so the first step is to receive it so that you have something to offer. Now, why does it matter? I told you about the Grinch. Newest Christmas movie I've seen is Spirited with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. And 
it's a retake on Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, where originally you have Scrooge, who's a miser and greedy and holds on to money. It's all money, 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 mine, 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 and is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future and has this change of heart. Again, if you haven't seen that or the DuckTales rendition of it, you probably won't see it by now. But they did this musical retake of it. You can see it now. I think it's on Netflix. Ryan Reynolds plays Clint. And Clint is this high-powered, awesome marketing, branding executive. And his thing's not so much money, although the plot's very clear he has a lot of money. The important thing to him seems to be influence and prestige and power. And Will Ferrell, the ghost of Christmas present, comes and visits him. And throughout their interactions, I won't spoil this one because maybe you'll see it if you haven't yet. One of the things I noticed is that Clint, Ryan Reynolds, his life on one hand is just, I don't want to say empty, that's trite. But it's kind of pathetic. I mean, it's, it's shiny, it's good cars, it's private planes, it's big parties, it's all that. But it's lonely. What I like about that movie is everybody sees it, the audience can see it. Everybody sees it but Clint. He's defending it. This is fine, this is good, I like my life, leave me alone. It's like you're going down the freeway in a truck, a pickup truck, maybe a dump truck is on fire in the back, and the driver's just humming along, has no idea there is a fire, there's an inferno in the back of their truck. Everybody else can see it, but the person actually operating the vehicle until someone tells them. And through an act of generosity, Clint's heart is transformed as well, and then that generosity generates ultimate generosity. Here's why it matters. Because living a life that is all for ourselves promises a lot of things to us. Think about it. When you think about the way you use your time, the way you utilize your finances, the way that you use your, your talents, your abilities, your education, there, is, there, are several, there are several dynamics operating at the same time. The first one is that we paradoxically live in the most wealthy nation in the history of the earth, and we have a dominant narrative that there's never enough for us. And so the world feels like a zero-sum game where there's only so much pie, and if I give away some of my pie, I will be hungry. So that's the first thing that's operating for us. The second is the myriad of messages that we receive that say you need to look out for number one. You deserve it. I, I, you, you need to put yourself first, and we go, yeah, there's not enough. I need to look after myself. But what happens is we end up with enough, but we end up alone. We end up with enough, but we end up looking at everybody else as a potential drain on our battery of life. And it matters because you were actually designed to not only have God's gifts go to you, but to go through you. So let's, let's think about, throughout scriptures you read about the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee in Palestine are connected by the River Jordan. The sea of Galilee is a little more north, Dead Sea is a little more south, river connects them both. The sea of Galilee is one of the most prodigiously abundant biological ecosystems in the world. It's changing rapidly with the ways that we're changing our world. But it, this is where whenever you read Jesus with the fishermen and they have an abundant catch of fish and all these, that's all the Sea of Galilee. Everything grows in the Sea of Galilee. Connected by the River Jordan, same water flows into the Dead Sea, 
Guess how many things live in the Dead Sea? None. It's the Dead Sea. <laughs> Nothing can live there. The salinity is too high. And the only major difference I can deduce between the two bodies of water separating abundant life through to death is that water enters the Sea of Galilee, populates it, and exits. It, it flows to it, and it flows through it. Water enters the Dead Sea, and there's no outlet for it. And so it's there that it stagnates and becomes toxic. I think that's a picture of our lives. Think about the most alive people you know, and I would imagine, I would bet you, I'd make the case that they probably live a life that's more like the Sea of Galilee. The happiest people I know with their finances are not necessarily the wealthiest people I know. The happiest people with their finances I know are the most generous people with their finances. And that you can put that toward your the way you spend your time, the way you spend your energy, all of those things. Because you were designed for it, like I said. But here's another reason why it matters. Just on the real acute, like in the moment reason why it matters. Because being a giver and living a life of generosity actually decreases your anxiety and gives you more peace. There have been studies that have been done that one of the things that raises our anxiety right now is, this has to go with... Um, with just having better communication. You know trauma, drama, difficulty, and sorrows around the world as soon as you open your phone. This is happening in this country. This is happening in this community. This earthquake happened. This fire happened. This, and it all hits you. And anxiety increases as your awareness of pain increases, but your sense of potency to do something about it decreases. So the more you learn about the troubles of this world and the more powerless you feel about it, the more anxious you will become. And living a life of generosity actually reverses the flow of that system and says, I have agency in this world. I cannot solve all the problems in this world, but I can be a part of it. And so, in fact, this is just a little life hack, life tip. Instead of turning on a Kickstarter, opening the file, and then just turning it off. You do that three times, you're like, oh my gosh, this person has this illness, this person's going through this. And you turn it off and you go about your day. Those programs run in your mind all the time and actually increases anxiety. The, the pro tip they gave was don't even open the Kickstarter campaign email unless you're already committed to giving at least $1 because it tells your brain that you did something to help. You didn't just walk away. But that principle remains for every aspect of life. So it matters because you were designed for it because it increases the beauty and joy and providence in this world and because it's good for you. But wouldn't that just make sense if you really were designed for it? So this is actually you living according to your design. Now, how do you access it? How do you access it? I think this table is a picture of how we access it. You live a life that is cross-shaped. Just as this bread will be taken and blessed and broken and given to you, you let it nourish you so that your life may be taken and blessed and broken and poured out for others. And that is the pattern of the Christian life. That's what it looks like you know, maybe this, maybe this week, maybe today, you take a moment and you just look over your spending for the last three months and you say, what does this tell me about what I value? 
And as you think through the next year, and this is a good time to make plans for the next year, what would it look like for you to move the needle on being a person of generosity? You know, if someone, if, when, when your accountant looks at your, you know, at your finances, do they go, hey, I've got a lot of clients. I just want to pull you aside and say, you're more generous than most people I see over here. What is it about you that makes that happen? Or maybe it's secret things that you do off the books. I mean, it's not just about proving something to your accountant. I don't want to make it sound like that. But what does it look like when generosity gets specific to your life? When you look at your calendar and the ways you spend your time, I mean, first of all, I need to call time out and say, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this. When, uh, when Mama Lily came a few, few weeks ago and she was telling us about the ministry in South Sudan, I had lunch with her the day before, and she speaks at like big mega churches around the country and all kinds of stuff. And I said, look, Mama Lily, I'm not sure about the churches you normally speak to, but I'd imagine a lot of them are probably comfortably Christian and need to be moved to mission." You're going to be speaking in North Park to a group of people who are starting a church. They wouldn't be a part of this if they weren't already in the game. Like, these are people that want to move, so you just need to tell us what's going on and how we could be a part of it. So I'm preaching to the choir, but you've got to preach to the choir because the choir has issues too. But what does it look like to look at your calendar and say, in 2023, I want my calendar to look like Generosity. I mean, it's the ways that you show up early to welcome people at the front door, or the ways that you show up to care for children and children's ministry, or the ways that you give your first Saturday of every month, right in the middle of the day, you come down here and make friends with new neighbors. All of that is generosity. It wouldn't be happening if you weren't generous. This church being founded and funded and getting off the ground, and everything we give here goes to fund our mission to serve our neighbors. That wouldn't happen if we weren't being as generous as we possibly could in this church. As you think about your time, as you think about your treasure, as they, your finances, as you think about your talent, your abilities, what does it look like for you to use those things on behalf of others? But let me finish by reminding you, don't try this without the gospel. As Father Jack said, don't be the one who's trying to give the world a good gift without receiving the divine gift first. Be like the Sea of Galilee, where you receive the ever-present, self-giving love of God in Christ, and then you let it flow through you to this world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray that this Christmas, as we make room for you in our lives, that you'd fill us with the gift of joy. As these aspects we've been looking at for Advent build on one another, understanding you in Scripture, meeting you in prayer, and then flowing outward into this world through generosity. Would you give us joy as we do it? Would you give us guidance as we seek you? And would you transform and renew our neighborhoods, our city, and our world? By your grace, we pray. Amen.